Well, you see it every, everywhere else in the world. Uh, a company has a has a boss, a CEO, and the company has a job of of doing to set out what it is there to do uh, to sell a product or to serve a customer base. And if uh, that company is not doing the thing it's supposed to do, then uh, it's time to take a good hard look at the leadership. And so companies will. Uh, at times, replace their CEOs, replace their uh, bosses, um, and find new leadership to lead the company in a new direction. And so it seemed to stand to reason that in the church, if the church is not doing what it was set forth to do, then maybe the same should happen. Uh, thank you for tuning in to this edition of Table Scraps, a production of Table Talk Radio. I'm Evan Gigline. Joining us for this edition is Pastor Philip Hoppe. He's pastor of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Ellsworth, Kansas, and he has written a paper for the Kansas District Falls Pastor Conference entitled Dismissing a Pastor for Any Reason. Pastor Hoppy, welcome to Table Scraps. Glad to be with you today. Okay, are you sure that your uh, taking issue with uh, dismissing a pastor for any reason is not just uh, of the opinion that a pastor is above criticism? Right. Now, this can obviously uh, be... Uh, the assumption, right? You know, what uh, for a pastor to write a paper and say that pastors should not be dismissed, right? It's sort of like uh, you know a, a male uh, leading a workshop on how women should submit. You know, even though uh, it may be true, it often you question the person's uh, motives in writing it. And so, uh, no, certainly I'm not uh, claiming at all that there aren't reasons why a, a pastor might be. Uh, dismissed uh, and deposed from the office, uh, but I am questioning the idea uh, that that can happen for almost any reason that the congregation uh, wants. Okay, so uh, what, as you do in your paper, start by defining what you mean by dismissal. Right. Uh, yeah, dismissal seems to be, uh, to my reading, a rather new term in the church, at least in the way that it's being used. Um, the church theologians have often talked about a pastor being uh, deposed from the office, right? Uh, sometimes we we'll use the term, you know, defrocked. Um, that certainly has been uh, part of the historical practice of, of the church at large and of our Lutheran uh, tradition as well. But dismissal here seems to be uh, largely practiced in a way in which a man is uh, released from his call to a particular congregation, uh, but then in most cases is at least uh, placed on a status where they're going to be, o be able to go on and serve uh, some other congregation. Now, that doesn't always uh, come to fruition, but at least that's kind of the idea, is that they would uh, just not uh, serve that congregation any longer. Uh, and I think that really, uh, that distinction that's being made is a false one. I think uh, really the two go together, and I think if you read our theologians, even if they would use a term like dismissing a pastor, uh, if you read the context, they're really talking about uh, removing a pastor from the office completely. And, and so what are uh, some his historical reasons for which a pastor would be removed from his office? Right. Essentially, um, 
you know, the, the, uh, the scriptures lay out for us, uh, you know, the qualifications uh, for pastor, uh, whether you be looking in, in Timothy or Titus, um, they lay out the different things that pastors uh, are to be, those qualifications that they are to have. And essentially then, um, what the church has historically said uh, is that if a pastor, uh, you know, goes against those things, then there would be reason uh, to at first call him uh, to account for that. And then if he uh, does not uh, repent of those things, you know, then to continue uh, towards uh, perhaps deposing him from office. But essentially, you know, the, the main reasons uh, that have always been given, um, we might say, um, you know, three reasons. Uh, some We number these differently in some of our uh, different uh, the, theolog- theological books, excuse me, um, would be uh, someone that persists in a false doctrine, uh, goes against what we believe, teach, and confess, and will not, um, you know, uh, be quiet about that. Uh, secondly, if there's a matter of uh, scandalous life, uh, some uh, sin uh, in the person's life that could be in the congregation or, you know, in their own uh, life uh, that would bring disrepute upon uh, the office. Uh, and then the last one, I really think it flows from those other two, but often it's listed as sort of separate as an idea of, you know, unwilling to uh, do their duties. Um, Obviously, if you're called to administer word and sacrament and you're not administering any word and sacrament, uh, there's an issue there that needs to be uh, dealt with. Uh, but that final reason is kind of being expanded in our day um, into a thing that kind of can capture almost uh, anything and everything that a congregation might uh, want to uh, dismiss their pastor from. So the the distinction you make in, ju- in your paper be- between... Um uh, this common use of dismissal is that if a pastor is removed, or uh, to use the phrase, dismissed from office, if he is found to be unfit for this office in some church in in Kansas, then he shouldn't then be found fit to be uh, a pastor of another of another congregation somewhere else. I mean, uh, to say that this person is not fit here would then disqualify him to be fit somewhere else. Exactly right, and. One, one thing I just uh, note there is, you know, in, in my paper, and also probably when we're talking here on this interview, we use that phrase then, you know, that saying that a pastor cannot be dismissed for any reason. Uh, you know, in my paper, I put quotes around for any reason uh, to say that we're not saying here that a pastor can never be dismissed there cer- and deposed. There are certainly biblical reasons, like we've talked about, that that can happen. But outside of those reasons, then, the pastor uh, is to continue uh, in his call and in the office. Uh, And so, yeah, if the man is fit for the office in rural Kansas, he's also fit for the office uh, in, you know, uh, urban Colorado. You know, the, the location doesn't matter. The question is either he's fit for the office and he is able uh, to carry out the prime uh, things that the office is given to do, uh, then he's fit to do it wherever uh, the Lord calls him. And, it, and conversely, if he's not fit in rural Kansas, he's not fit anywhere else uh, in the church as well. Okay, so in, in this third this third reason that you gave unwilling to do duties, um, contrast that then between the, the duties that are incumbent upon a pastor 
versus um, the duties that are sort of uh, thought of to be the pastor's duty today. Right. If we look at the scriptures, I mean, the duties of the office, and, and typically this is what is reflected in uh, the call documents itself that a pastor would receive from the congregation. Uh, the prime duties are about, uh, you know, preaching and teaching the Word uh, and administering the sacraments. Um, both of those being done, both in the in the public setting of the congregation gathered on a on a Sunday morning, and and then also privately as the pastor visits um, those that are not able to gather uh, or need some sort of special pastoral care. But that is the duties of the pastor, uh, and that's what he's to spend his time doing and things like that. Um, we know, and I suppose this is true of a lot of jobs, but particularly, again, with pastors. Pastors, uh, depending on where they are located, are kind of uh, expected to do all sorts of other things. Uh, in, in a rural setting uh, like I'm in right now, right, the pastor is kind of expected to, uh, you know, we often say jokingly, you know, be the the janitor and the secretary and, uh, you know, everything that you can imagine. Uh, and in other settings, uh, they're probably expected to uh, be the PR guy for the church, and they're maybe expected also to be uh, uh, really skilled at financial matters or uh, building matters if the congregation is looking that way. Uh, and one of the things that is important to this discussion is that we really as pastor and people say, above all else, uh, this is what a pastor is called to do, and if he's doing these things well, he is filling the office to which he was called. So you have uh, someone uh, who is a member of a church, and their pastor is is uh, faithfully preaching the Word of God Sunday after Sunday, administering the sacraments, visiting shut-ins, and all those things that a pastor swore to do upon his ordination. Um, but the person says, yeah, but the pastor isn't growing the church. The pastor uh, has not uh, been effective in uh, in in the church attendance growing by 20% in five years. Um, so, therefore, we should remove the pastor. How do, how do you critique that analysis? Right. Well, I, I guess I would say at first, if you look at that scripturally, uh, you probably would have had a lot of the leaders of God dismissed at different places if that was uh, the rule and the norm. Because, as we know, um, obviously, as the Word goes out, uh, the Spirit works faith when and where He will. But equally, we know that uh, some people reject uh, that work uh, that the Spirit seeks to do through His, through His Word and through the sacraments. And so, um, you know, a thing like church attendance per se uh, is just not a good gauge of if the office is being carried out faithfully, because uh, we can see in the Scriptures times when the office is carried out faithfully, and uh, the congregation of believers is growing, say, like early in the church. Uh, Acts chapter 2 kind of thing. Um, we can see that happening, but we can also see other times, uh, I think of the prophet Elijah, where he's trying to minister faithfully, and uh, he finds himself uh, all alone. God reminds him that there are others, uh, but, but a small amount in general uh, who are still remaining faithful. So again, to, to ask that question of if our pastor is doing what he's supposed to do is not to ask about the results uh, that's up to the Holy Spirit if it goes well, and it's up to sinful humanity if it doesn't go well um, to determine. The question is to ask, is he doing 
what he was called there to do. Uh, and if so, uh, then he remains, and we leave the rest of that in, in God's hands uh, and allow him to show us what his plans are for, for the church and our location in, in uh, our time. Uh, how, how does then the uh, pastoral office differ from uh, that of all other uh, vocations? And in, in other words, I mean, you could even take the church for example. You mentioned a secretary or a janitor. If you hire a secretary, you hire a janitor, and uh, the the secretary just isn't answering the phone, uh, or the uh, the janitor isn't uh, uh, isn't cleaning up, or or maybe, maybe those are more terms of duties. But uh, let's just say that. Uh, we have found a janitor who we think will do a better job, or a secretary that will be more personable to the people who uh, call the church office, and we want to uh, replace them. How how does every other job uh, differ from that of the holy ministry? Well, I think the the primary understanding uh, that's important here is to remember, right, that this is uh, purely uh, or uh, purely they're not meaning an exception to anyone else, but that this call. Uh, comes from God, and that God here, uh, through uh, whatever means he has called uh, to the congregation, establishes uh, a relationship there between pastor and people. Uh, and uh, therefore, since God has called the person there, uh, indeed they remain uh, as long as uh, he leaves them there. Uh, but but the, I guess the prime difference being in a lot of other um, jobs and locations as we might look at it, uh, we don't have any uh, scriptural reason to say, well, you know, you, you must retain your janitor uh, or, or this or that, but we do have uh, word after word from God that those that he sends, we are to uh, continue to listen to them and continue to hear their word, even when it is a word uh, that we uh, don't like at the moment, a word that we don't want to hear. As long as they're speaking to us God's word, uh, we listen uh, and we are persuaded by our leaders, uh, the, the book of Hebrews uh, suggests. So this would be, uh, this would be an akin to uh, the people of, of Israel uh, in, in the Exodus, in, in the wandering, uh, saying to Moses, uh, uh, Moses, we... Uh, we had better food in Egypt. Um, at least, at least we didn't have to eat this manna day after day. Uh, I think we're going to go in a different direction, and I think that we're going to dismiss you of your of your call of of, uh, of prophet, and we are going to uh, go with someone else. Um, but we don't see that in the biblical account, do we? No, we don't. In fact, um, when uh, in our location out here in Kansas, we did have someone sort of suggests uh, that an example of someone being uh, dismissed from their office would be Moses uh, being dismissed for the case of Joshua taking over. But uh, as I looked at that, because that was sort of given by those who were supporting this idea, you know, you look at these accounts of Moses, and we do have several cases uh, where the people decide that they're going to remove Moses from office. Uh, first, it's uh, Miriam and Aaron uh, who decide they're going to get rid of Moses because he's too meek, you know. Um, and Miriam is punished with seven days of leprosy. Uh, that's found in uh, Numbers 12. Uh, later on, uh, as you mentioned, they decide they're going to choose a new leader, head back to Egypt, uh, and that is uh, one of the prime reasons uh, why that whole generation would eventually 
uh, fall over dead uh, one by one rather than entering into the promised land, except for, of course, faithful Joshua and Caleb. Uh, and then uh, finally we have the account, and maybe this is the most uh, striking, or at least would you know make the best uh, movie scene. Uh, we have um, Korah and the other sons of Levi. They decide, you know, we don't like this Moses uh, as our leader, uh, and we're going to rebel against him. And in that case, God actually opens up the earth uh, and swallows them up. Uh, so they're basically in Numbers 12 through 16, if, if the listeners want to kind of reread those stories, we see time and time again the people saying, this leader isn't right for us for one reason or another, and they seek in one way or another to get rid of them, uh, and God is not well pleased. He uh, you know, basically tells them time and time again, this is the man I have sent you, uh, and therefore he will continue to lead until I say that he won't, uh, which of course leads us to the end there where Moses is eventually removed uh, because of his own unfaithfulness um, from that office, uh, and Joshua is placed into it by God. Uh, I had a, uh, a circuit pastors meeting earlier this week, and, and someone brought up the question, who is the pastor's boss? I'm curious, how would you answer that question? Well, I would answer first and foremost, Jesus is the pastor's boss. Um, but it is uh, something uh, that is, um, I think, an issue in our synod. Uh, just recently, our church body has approved a new uh, circuit counselor's manual. And as part of that, that's basically a book that kind of helps the circuit counselors, that help uh, the various congregations, kind of some guidelines for them to follow. In there is a document uh, that the Council of Presidents has recently uh, approved, uh, and in that document, um, at least to the best of my reading, it sure seems that the overall point that they're trying to make is that uh, the congregation uh, is the boss of the pastor. Um, now, we can understand in one sense uh, that the church, Big C Church, not just a, a congregation, but the Big C Church is God's ultimate reality, and within that, Right, no one pastor stands over and against uh, the church. Uh, that role would belong only to Christ. But when we're talking about individual congregations, we really have to go and look uh, at the table of duties. Uh, that part of the catechism that maybe uh, we're not as familiar with as we should be. Uh, I know even as uh, one who teaches the catechism, you know, you get through um, the six chief parts and the table of duties is kind of maybe mentioned as a side note at the end. That's extra credit, of, I think, isn't it? Say that? That's extra credit, I think. Yeah, extra credit, exactly, right. gives you a, a few extra points. If you know that, then, you know, the pastor will uh, really like you, you know, and give you, uh, you know, an, an extra shiny uh, Bible or Book of Concord, you know, on the day of your confirmation <laughs> or something, something along those lines, sure. Um, but in that uh, table of duties, we kind of have all these relationships laid out, right? And um, I think the, the most important thing to understand about those is that they're laid out in a way that in each of those relationships, uh, whether it's husband to wife or parents to children or uh, workers uh, to bosses or masters, uh, or whether it is, uh, in this case, pastor and people, we look at all those things, and each one, essentially one person uh, is to show forth in that relationship 
the authority uh, of Christ in the way that he uses his authority. And what do I mean by that? Well, Christ uses his authority to love, to serve, uh, to uh, do everything he can for those under his care. And so the pastor is given authority to serve. Uh, and this we never can forget. The pastor's job is not to boss around people. The pastor's job is not to have authority for his own sake. His authority that he has in the congregation is for the benefit of those he's called to serve. But on the flip side of all of those tables of duty uh, is the idea that the other side is going to show forth the church's submission to Christ. Um, this is uh, when we talk about marriage, right? We get these words that wives are to submit to husbands and I know as a pastor, often when I read that, you know, it's when I duck for the uh, the tomatoes <laughs> and other rotten vegetables that might be thrown my way, you know. Uh, but the question there is always, well, why? Why would the woman submit? Is it, you know, because she's inferior? Is it because she's not as smart, not as strong? No. It's because she's to show forth how the church relates to Christ. And what does the church do to Christ other than love and cherish him? Well, it also submits to him. Uh, it follows his lead, right? We are disciples. Uh, we follow Christ and his lead. And so in this sense, uh, we have in this relationship of pastor and people, the people again are in that kind of second uh, group of people that are to show forth uh, submission uh, to their pastor. Why? Not again because somehow pastors have uh, some sort of character that makes them special above the people, but because God has ordered the relationship in this way. Um, and we should be clear here, right? This is not to say that the congregation does not uh, speak to their pastor or uh, if they think there's something wrong, question them, uh, different things like this. But it is to say in general they recognize that God has given this one uh, to have authority over them for their good. Uh, and so uh, in the question of who's boss, uh, I guess I'd say, you know, it's a question we want to be real careful with relating to pastor and people. But when we ask who is in authority in the relationship between pastor and people, uh, the scriptures make quite clear that pastors are in authority over congregations for their good, not, you know, for their, uh, uh, not in order that they would be made uh, slaves so the pastor would benefit but for their own good. And so that relationship that's laid out, I think, is very important to understanding then how a congregation thinks about their pastor, uh, particularly if they would think about getting rid of him. Well, I think it's an interesting question, uh, who is the pastor's boss, because um, what, what, is, what goes along with that question is really just uh, who holds the pastor accountable. Because, um, I mean, that's, that's what the connotation of the question means. I mean, you, I mean, you don't say you don't think, okay, a boss pays his employees. So you're not asking who pays the pastor. <laughs> you're asking who's going to hold the pastor accountable. And I like I like this uh, the setup you have for us in the table of duties, uh, so that uh, a husband or a parent or uh, the government uh, is set up, uh, uh, given authority uh, to those whom he he is to serve. And that a husband or a parent or government um, is only doing that serving when he's acting according to that uh, authority that's been given. So in other words, uh, should a government 
Uh, I mean, a government is set up given the authority to to rule the people and to serve the people. Uh, but should that government abuse its authority, it, it now ceases to serve the people. And so likewise, the pastor who is now operating outside of the authority which he has been given, and the authority which he's been given in this case is uh, to forgive and to re- retain sins, uh, to preach the gospel, uh, to administer the sacraments. If he is now o- operating outside of the authority that he's been given, he ceases then to serve uh, the church. Yeah, exactly. And that is what I think one of the key things with kind of any time we're talking table of duties is that we need to remember that we speak uh, to the person we're talking to according to what the table of duties says to them, right? So what I mean by that, if we can go back to husband and wife, we should not be talking to pe- or to husbands about their wives submitting to them. That's not their job, and that's not their concern. We speak to husbands about loving their wives as Christ loves the church, sacrificing themselves uh, in every way so that their wife is well-served and well-loved. But when we talk to the wife, right, we don't just talk to the wife about how perfectly her husband should love her. No, in fact, we talk to her, right, about the thing that's been given to her, which is uh, to submit to her husband uh, in order that that relationship, again, might prosper according to the uh, the order that God gives it. So again, right, when we're talking to, about pastors, we can ask all these uh, scriptural things that tell us that pastors are not to lord their authority uh, over their congregations, and that it's, they're not to be like the Gentiles, right, who just said, I'm in power, now you do what I say. That's right when we're talking to the pastor. The, the part that I'm fearful of is that when we're talking to a congregation, uh, we are often just telling them what the pastor is to do. Uh, we're telling them, uh, your pastor is to love you in all of these ways, and you giving them kind of opportunity to try to nitpick, well, here's a place where the pastor didn't do that perfectly. When what we should be doing, or you know, a district president or a circuit counselor meets with the congregation, our first thing to remind them of uh, is that this is the man that God has given them, uh, and that as long as he is not abusing his authority, uh, they are called to uh, be persuaded by him and respect him and honor him. Uh, and I think in our day and age, we're often leaving out that part of the table of duties. Uh, perhaps in a former day, it was the opposite, and I think maybe we're reacting to that. Maybe it used to be... <laughs> The only thing that was ever talked about was pastors being in charge. Uh, I know when I talk to some of my older members, uh, it is clear that they were fearful in, in many ways of their pastors, and not just of the authority given to them, but, but they were sort of fearful in general of them because they carried with them such an authoritative presence. Um, and, you know, so maybe in a former day, that's all that was talked about, and there wasn't a lot of instruction to pastors to be reminded uh, of why they had the authority. But I think in our day now, we're flipping it to the opposite extreme. We're only talking about what pastors uh, are to do, and rarely do we talk to congregations about their God-given responsibility in this way. In, in comparing the pastoral office to that of the uh, congregation, um, in the context of the ta- table of duties, you say, imagine if children were able to dismiss their parents for any reason, or workers could dismiss their boss, and chaos would result. 
Um, so that then demonstrates then the exact same chaos that results when um, when a, a, a congregation chooses to dismiss their pastor for any reason. Exactly. We all know as, uh, you know, maybe being children is uh, one of the best ones because we've all experienced that. Uh, that we all know there are times when those who are placed in authority over us, namely our parents, uh, we don't think are making wise judgments or letting us do what we want to do. Uh, and if you were to allow uh, them to simply say, then, well, I'll get a new parent uh, tomorrow. Uh, you know, this would probably happen on a weekly basis, and you would <laughs> have all sorts of chaos. Well, we see some of this chaos resulting in the, the church as well, because congregations that take this authority upon themselves to dismiss their pastor, uh, obviously, when they get a new pastor, um, they're still operating under that principle. And so, uh, unless you know, they just happen to find somebody that just, you know, really pleases them in every way, uh, it's very likely they're going to end up dismissing the next pastor. And uh, as you get further and further into that, it, it really creates all sorts of chaos. We have all sorts of pastors uh, that are without uh, any place to serve, and we have all sorts of congregations that are simply uh, trying to sort of uh, find the perfect pastor, not in the sense of one who is perfectly faithful, uh, but in the sense of one who simply meets uh, whatever uh, their desires are at that point. Uh, the scriptures talk about people gathering uh, leaders to themselves who tickle their ears, right, who will tell them what they want to hear. Uh, and if we do that, obviously, again, if you give a kid choice of parents, uh, I would reckon to say they're going to choose the wrong kind of parents. They're going to initially choose parents uh, that will let them do anything and have no care uh, for what their children do. Those are bad parents, right? Uh, same thing in a congregation. If they choose pastors who will just let them do whatever they want to do, uh, whether that's uh, you know just according to their flesh's desire or whatever, uh, that's not a good pastor. And so God saves us from that in His grace, and He instead orders His church in a way in which He gives us uh, pastors, uh, that not that we just choose to be perfect, but that He is deemed uh, are the man to serve in, in that locale at that time. With my final two questions, I want to uh, have you address the listener. Uh, first, address the listener who um, is hurting, who is, who is, uh, is undergoing a hardship in their church, um, not because they want to dismiss their pastor for any reason, um, but their pastor does persist in false doctrine, or the pastor um, is not fulfilling the biblical duties that are set before them. Um, what counsel would you provide for such a person? Well, uh, first off, you know, just to um, tell them that it is indeed a very grievous and hurtful thing uh, when their pastor does not fulfill the duties given to them. Um, it, it, it is not something uh, that we can just um, dismiss, right? It is something that is sinful and hurtful, uh, and thereby that kind of leads us then, what's the further counsel? Well, when you've been sinned against by anyone, right, uh, we then want to uh, go to that person and speak to them about uh, that thing that they are doing. Um, we want to do this prayerfully, thoughtfully, respectfully, right? But we want to be able to go into our pastor and say, 
you know, this is what I understand scripturally you are to do or you are to teach. Um, and I'm concerned as one that's, you know, under your care that there's a problem with that. Um, if you go in with that sense of humility, you don't go in just saying, okay, pastor, this is it, right? But you go in in that sense of humility. I think in most cases, especially where uh, there's a pastor who should remain in office, uh, he will hear you and he will talk to you uh, and uh, continue to do that. If if he doesn't, if he persists uh, in those things that are unbiblical, well, then you need to go forward uh, and invite a couple more people uh, into the situation. And eventually, um, if it persists even further than that, then you're talking about involving the congregation and also perhaps uh, other people. But I guess just from the initial hurt, right, um, to say to them it is hurtful when a pastor is doing things that are not right because why? They're supposed to show you how Christ loves you, right? And now you've got this example uh, that's terrible, and you think, if that's how Christ loves me, maybe I don't want Christ either, right? Uh, so first, just to say to them, it is a real hurt and a real pain of sin they're feeling, but then urge them to go and talk to their pastor as one who has sinned against them. Uh, seek him out and allow him uh, to confess any sins that he has uh, done, uh, and then you know celebrate together that wonderful forgiveness that Christ gives us. And finally, speak to the person who is in a church um, who has a pastor who has has uh, preached the, the the doctrine of Christ, uh, who who hasn't uh, failed to live up to the duties that is incumbent upon him. Um, but this person is yet still frustrated. This, uh, for whatever reason, this person has certain expectations of the pastor, and the pastor is not pulling those off. How do you address that person as well? Once again, I guess, you know, I would uh, talk to them uh, and really start with kind of saying, Let, let's talk first and foremost about why you called this person here. Uh, here it can even be helpful, right? Let's take out the call documents and look at them and say, here's what you've called him to do. The other thing I think that, you know, we would say to a, a person uh, that is like that is, again, to to, on the things that are kind of their holy desires, to say, we understand this, right? All of us wish that when the Word of God uh, was preached purely and the, the sacraments were administered according to Christ's institution, that people would just be knocking down the doors and filling the pews, and we'd have to, you know, figure out where to put them all. That's a holy thing to wish that all people would be attracted to God's uh, purity uh, or His pure Word. Uh, and yet, we have to understand that that doesn't always happen. And in fact, you know, perhaps right now we're at a place where our culture is, is uh, so set against many of the things that God's Word teaches that uh, we might have to expect that there's going to be a lot of more people that are going to kind of say, well, that's not for me. Uh, and that's a sad thing. But to say to them, you know, if your pastor's not doing some of these other things well, um, you can go and talk to him about those things, especially if you have a helpful word to say, you know, if you did this a little different or that a little different, you might be able to, to do these things too. But I would really urge them, right, love your pastor for what he's called there to do. And if he's doing that faithfully, support him, uh, continue to talk well of him in the congregation and in the community, 
And I guess to both people, probably the final word would be pray for your pastor, right? Because uh, as one uh, myself who's been called to this task, I'm right every day wake up knowing uh, that the day before I did not fulfill that office perfectly, <laughs> and in the day ahead I probably will not either. Uh, and yet I desire to, according to the new creation that God has has made me in baptism. So pray for your pastor, that he would be upheld and that he'd be able to do the task that he's been called to do uh, well. Um, And uh, then on the things, if there are things that you wish he could do but he's not called to do, you just have to accept that that's not his place. And maybe even, you know, depending on what the thing is, uh, if it's something that's godly, uh, maybe that's a place where a layman uh, could step in and help do some of those things that the pastor's not really... Uh, given according to his call to do anyways. Uh, We want to work together, and there's lots of things uh, that need to be done in a church. Uh, The most important things, uh, the Word and the sacraments, that has to go on. The rest of the things, right, if we're able to do those things and can find people uh, that are able to do them, that's good and well, too. Uh, But we always focus first and foremost on what God has given his church to do. We've been speaking with Pastor Philip Poppy. He's pastor of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Ellsworth, Kansas. He has written an article dismissing a pastor, quote-unquote, for any reason. And you can read this uh, this paper from our website. Find a link on our website at tabletalkradio.org and look at the description for this episode of Table Scraps. Uh, pastor Hoppy, thank you so much for joining us for this edition of Table Scraps. Very glad to be with you. God bless you on your continued work. And you as well. <laughs> 